0: Good morning. And misery loves company, doesn't it? Like, if you're an Alabama fan this morning, at least there was Auburn. If you're an Auburn fan this morning, at least there was Alabama. So, uh, unless you're a Pirates fan, in which case they won. So, um, this morning we're continuing in our series of the Meals of Jesus. And uh, last week we spoke about, um, actually, uh, James. Uh, brought the message about the, uh, the meal where Jesus was invited to. We had the, the sinful woman, the town sinner, that anointed or washed his feet with her tears. Um, so that was hospitality from an unexpected source. Today we're going to hear about this kind of this unexpected feast, uh, and we find it in Luke chapter 9. So if you would turn there to Luke 9, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17 this morning. And if you would, uh, please stand with me as we, as we read this together. And Father God, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes to your word, that you would allow it to dwell richly within us, Father, that you would speak to us today, or that we would learn the words that you have for us, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. This is Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are going to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd, and they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Now, being honest here, I would like kind of a, a self-assessment. Have you ever been a part of some party or event, um, and you were just hoping that nobody would show up? Have you ever... Not that you were afraid that no one would come, but that you were afraid that anybody would come. Anybody ever been in that situation? Very few. I wish Michael was here. He would be with me on this one. Oh, you are. Okay. Um, So, introverts can kind of understand uh, this explanation, that you're preparing, and you're getting ready, and you're making preparations, and and the time comes, and you're just terrified that there's going to be a lot of people there. Okay? Okay. that's sort of the situation that we find ourselves in this morning. Now, verse 10 it said, "On the return, the apostles told him all they had done. Now what the apostles had been doing before this is Jesus sent them out on their own missionary journey. He, he sent the twelve out, and, and he gave them power and authority to heal and to teach. So they had been traveling over the countryside, and they had been performing these great miracles, and they come back finally together when this is all finished. And they're so excited about everything they had just done. They, they can't wait to tell each other, to talk to Jesus. Oh, can you believe what th- this, this all happened? And, and, and we, we understand, we find from the, other, um, from the other gospel account, from John, that it's Jesus' idea to go off by themselves in a desolate place so that they could get some rest. So they, they're just finished expending all this energy. They've gone out. They've fulfilled their mission. They've preached. They've healed They've seen tons and tons of people, and, and finally they're going away by themselves, and they just want some alone time with Jesus. And th- this totally makes sense. Uh, if Personally, honestly, I'll, I'll say that when we do um, our mission trips uh, to the Dominican Republic, now we've done medical trips for five or six years now, and the preparation that it takes in order to pull off a medical trip uh, is quite extensive. So, you know, we're not just arranging where we're going to go, but we've got to order medication, we've got to get it delivered, we've got to get it sorted, we've got we've to do all this stuff. I mean, for, for weeks and weeks before the trip, uh, it's pretty much, you know, nonstop getting ready. It, it's so much to the point where when we get out to the field, okay, when we get to the place we're going, we do all this preparation for five days, five days of, of medical clinics. Where by the third day, I am not even that much secretly hoping, you know what, maybe everybody is uh, kind of feeling good today. You know, maybe nobody wants to come see the doctor this morning. Maybe we can just have a nice, easy day. Uh, It'll be relaxing. Nobody really, you know, maybe nobody really needs us here. And, and, And where I'm kind of hoping that nobody shows up you know, think, and it's so foolish when you think, you know, all this time and energy and resources and manpower that went to, to providing for five days, and by like day three, I'm just going, man, I, I hope this is done. You know, and so that's what, we, that's the situation we find the disciples in. They've done all this preparation. They've, they've been teaching, and they've been healing, and, they, and they're going out, and, and, and you can just imagine that word is spreading through the countryside, all that's happening by this guy and his 12 disciples, and so people are now Getting excited, but the disciples, meanwhile, they're just spent. They've already exhausted all their strength. They can't wait just to go and to be alone. And if you've ever been in that situation, if you've ever been um, out somewhere like our, our medical teams, you you know you know that the, the region that, that Jesus is in this is a poor, desolate place. Okay, so people, the word is spreading. And these people are poor, and they're, they're hearing about the healings, they're hearing about the teachings. And so you can just imagine men and women grabbing up their children, grabbing up their spouses. They hear that Jesus and his disciples are going to the other side of the sea, and so they make an end around, and they actually arrive before they get there on the boat. And so as this boat is pulling in, they're, they're looking, hopefully, to see this desolate place, and it's already starting to crowd in with people. We see the same thing. I mean, we, usually when we go on these mission teams, we give away like 100 tickets, uh, either beforehand or the morning of, which we're hoping to see about 100 patients. And, and we tell everybody, you know, one ticket per person. Well, of course, you know what happens. Um, if a mother is there and she's got four or five kids, they've got one ticket. You know, so that one person turned into five people or six people. Uh, and so the the, the the crowd kind of multiplies. And why is that? Because people that don't have any access to medical care here, and realize what's going on. And they say, wow, I can finally get what I need. That's what these people are doing. They're, they're desperate for healing. Imagine these, these men and these women grabbing up their sick children, throwing them on the back, and just racing around to the other side of the sea. The, the, the word it uses there for, for men is actually just males. So in the other gospel accounts, we know that's 5,000 men. Aside from women and children, most people think this is anywhere from fifteen to 20,000, this crowd. Okay? This is a ton of people. I mean, I've been overwhelmed pulling up to a village and seeing 200 people waiting to see a doctor. Imagine 20,000. That's what this crowd is looking like. And we see and we know what the disciples are feeling, and yet we also see what Jesus does. For Mark, we we hear that Jesus welcomes the crowd, and he begins to teach them because he has compassion on them. And he begins to cure those who needed healed. This isn't what the disciples had wanted. This isn't what they thought they were getting. And if we look at it, this might not even be necessarily what Jesus wants. It was his suggestion to go and to rest. But he knew his purpose, and he understood the opportunity was now. These people, they're poor and they're desperate. They don't have any place to stay. They don't have any money for food. They don't bring anything with them. Mark tells us that Jesus looks in the crowd and, and says that these are like sheep without a shepherd. That's how bewildered, that's how lost, that's how desperate these people are. So again, they grab their sons and their daughters and their families, their wives, their husbands, and they make this Desperation play to get to Jesus. They don't have any food because most likely they don't have the time. You know, they want to get there first in line. They're trying to get there as quickly as they can. We see, uh, for reference, this is the only miracle aside from the resurrection that appears in all four gospels. Okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the feeding of the five thousand is the only one that shows up in all of them aside. From the resurrection, so we have four separate accounts of these. You can you can read all four accounts; they're complementary and not contradictory. So we learn a little bit more about this uh, different points of view from each one. Uh, and what that tells us, uh, one thing it tells us, this is really important. You know, this the, the the disciples, the apostles that were writing their gospels made sure that they included this story. Luke is actually the only one um, after after this feeding of the five thousand. We understand the disciples leave, cross back over the sea, and Jesus walks across the water. Luke doesn't even think that's as important as this, because he doesn't even include that part. We learn about that from the other three Gospels. That immediately follows this. But in Luke, we don't even get that part. So what's the important part here is, is what happens, this miracle. And this is also Jesus' largest miracle in terms of number of people reached. And we can understand that, 15,000, 20,000 people. That's quite That's quite a feat. And the disciples, again, at this point, they've just had it with all these people. Um, and they tell Jesus to send the people away. Okay, that's, that's how we kind of get this feeling for, for what they're doing. Now, remember what they had just done. They had been performing miracles. They had been doing all of these things themselves. And they're just saying, you know what, send the people away. Out on our medical teams, there's been times where we've, we've had so many people we've literally had to send some people away now not not like the people that are having emergencies or things like that but you know when your doctor's laid up and he's exhausted he's got heat stroke and laying in the back of a van you know you just give him some vitamins and Tylenol and just you know wish them on their way but that's not what Jesus does and Dr. Cash not Jesus obviously Um, (laughs) what Jesus does is just says hey you give them something to eat we find from the, other, from the other gospel account that he had even earlier asked Philip, hey, what do you think it would cost us to get enough bread to feed all these people? And he's just like this sarcastic reply, 200 denarii, 200 days wages for, a, for an average worker. Half a year's salary isn't going to be enough to give everybody a little bit of bread. Okay, half a year's salary, so think $15,000, $30,000 isn't going to be enough to give everyone a little bit of something, so the disciples they're really they're really at a loss, and they're kind of looking around at each other. and And, and we learn from John that that they get this this boy that that brings these you know five loaves and these two fish up, and and they come to Jesus. They you know they've done everything they could. Like, look, this is all we got. Okay, this is this is all we got. Now, if you Read any modern, biblical, critical scholars. They, they attempt to explain this miracle in one of two ways. Okay, and, and these were kind of emerging out of the, the German critical uh, school, 1800s, early 1900s. Because this, gospel, because this account appears in all four Gospels, um, most of them don't doubt that something happened. But they try to give us explanations of what happened. Here's the first, here's the first attempt to explain what happened is that Jesus had a secret stash of food in the cave, okay? So remember, he's standing on a mountain, and Jesus is, is now, he's standing up like this right in front of, of a cave. And, and he's got, you know, what's he got? He's got nothing. He's got the empty box, and, and he prays, and dear Lord, please send us up. Uh, oh, look, you know, and just pulls out the magic box. And he, and he gives it, and then he's got, here, come stand over here. So he's got his disciples behind him, and they're just kind of slipping him things in his hands. let me, you know, oh, you know, give one to you, give one to you. And this is, this is the explanation, thank you. This is the explanation we hear from these critical scholars, as if this makes any sense at all. Like, think of the logistical feat this would be. This would be more miraculous than just making bread and fish. You have to go to the place, find the cave, spend $15,000, $20,000, stock the whole thing full, get the right space so that Jesus can be big enough to cover up the hole, get the disciples back there, and they're doing that. Okay? That's, that's one explanation. As you can see, I kind of find that preposterous. Although it was funny. Um, anybody want to it? There you go. No? Okay. Here's the second explanation. This is also uh, equally as ludicrous, I think. Um, the other explanation is that this miracle was a miracle of sharing. You've probably heard this one before, right? That every, The whole crowd saw this little boy. He comes up. Here, sir. Here's my, you know, here's my loaves. Here's my fish. Um, and when he brings it forward to Jesus, everybody looks down. They realize, oh, I've got a little more extra that I can share. And so everybody just starts sharing this food with each other. And we were on a kayaking trip yesterday. We had like uh, six or seven kids. And we were... Some people had brought some food and some people didn't. And so we stopped at a place for lunch. The people that didn't have food, they shared with the people that did have food. You know, you take your sandwich, you break it in half, you give it like that. But that's not at all what this gospel is suggesting. You know, that's not even the point of the story. For, for that. None of the gospel writers say, you know, and we should just share what we have with everybody else. That would be pretty much, you know, that would kind of be a lame story, really. That wouldn't be worth showing up in all four gospels. So, we have these two explanations this, this secret stash of food, we have the miracle of sharing. But really, that's, that's not what happens. You know, these people, remember, they didn't have any food. And, and, and just, I forgot my, my one point. You know, think of it if the disciples had spent all that money buying all that food for one meal, what would Dave Ramsey say about that? You know? He said, go home and make some bread and then bring it back. You know, don't, don't waste all your money like that. So if they were really spending all their, all their time, all energy trying to trick everybody, you know, how foolish would that be? So anyway, these people, they're poor and they're desperate. They didn't have large amounts of food. They, they, they didn't bring any with them out of desperation or out of the fact that they just didn't have any. And these barley cakes, even that this, this small boy has, if you know anything about them, barley is, is, the, is the bread of the commoner. It's the peasant bread. It, this, this is, um, you know, about the size of a small dinner plate. It's, it's not one of those big puffy loaves of bread, and you could just crack it, open it, and share it. And this is a meal for one person. So we see these are peasant common people. But We also know that Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. Before this in Luke, um, he had been by himself fasting for 40 days. And in his 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, Luke writes, he ate nothing for those 40 days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Okay, understatement of the year, right? You don't eat for 40 days. When it's over, he's hungry. But this isn't hungry like he needs a Snickers. This is hungry like he's about to die. You know, you can see his ribs because Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. He understood real hunger. And so he looks out and he sees these people and they're poor and they're in need and they've got no food. And this is the perfect setting for a miracle. You know, Jesus didn't just do these miracles for parlor tricks. You know, hey, look at that blind guy. Let's go see what we can do for him. You know, he didn't do them for those purposes. And really, he didn't even do them just to handle the visible need. There was always something else underlying what Jesus was doing. There was always something deeper than the physical, visible need that Jesus was meeting. If we think about the three food items that Jesus created in the New Testament, the first one was this, he turned water into wine. You know, he's at a party with his mom, he's got some disciples there, they run out of wine, they say, look, there's, there's a problem, the host is totally embarrassed, we don't have any more of it, can you please, Jesus, make us some wine? And so, of course, he does. You know, later in the book of John, we find out Jesus says i am the cup of the new covenant when you drink this remember me my blood poured out for you that's what this wine symbolized we see here this miracle of the bread you have got they've got no bread of course jesus a little bit later says i am the bread of life eat my flesh so Israelites are stranded for 40 years in the middle of the wilderness and God has given them manna from heaven, this bread from heaven for 40 years to meet their physical need, but also to remind them of their very real spiritual daily need for him. And finally, the fish. And we see this as, he, as calling his disciples the first time. They've got no fish on this side. He tells them to cast the net and they, and they reel it in and all, all of a sudden their net's full of fish. And what does he tell them? Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of Men. Even in, in, after the resurrection, we see the first breakfast that Jesus offers his disciples on the shore. Jesus got a little fire going. He's got some fish and some bread. To everything, there's a deeper meaning. He's reminding them constantly of what he's calling them to do. But see, the disciples now were afraid that the cost was too great. They're afraid the need was too great. But really, it was their faith that was too small. Think about it remember what they did not only had they been witnessing miracles they'd been performing them themselves they had the power of jesus in them and they still didn't understand who he really was they didn't grasp his full power and even when they even when they had this great need what did they they didn't ask jesus to provide the bread They think of his mother had said jesus would you please make some wine they say would you please send them away Read later from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, this amazing verse, where Paul writes, Not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work in us. Far more abundantly, exceedingly abundantly more, everything you can ask or you can think, God can do through the power at work within us, through his Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, don't sell yourself short in these situations where God can work his power through you to provide for this need. You are a conduit for a far greater power than you will ever, ever realize. We also understand that if the people had brought their own food, okay, if they brought their own food, there wouldn't have been any need for a miracle. That's kind of obvious. If they brought their own food, there wouldn't be a need for a miracle. But remember what else Jesus said. He says, it's not the healthy people that need miracles. A physician, but the sick. It's not the righteous who need to be forgiven of sin, but the unrighteous. Last time he'd even spoken, he said, who will love more? The one who has been forgiven much, or the one who has been forgiven little? Charles Spurgeon has written, I can only be a receiver, and my utter lack of all goodness fits me to receive from him, since the emptier the vessel, the more it can receive, the emptier the vessel, the more it can receive. And if I could help him, there would be no need for him to work a miracle on my behalf. See, if, if we brought anything to the table, we wouldn't be in need of the power of Jesus. You know, if, life isn't, if our lives are working out perfectly for us, then we have no need for God. If I can do everything on my own, then I don't need him. You know, people say that about Christianity all the time, that this is just a crutch for the weak, to which we would respond, Exactly. But here's the point. We're all weak and we're all poor. Some of us can recognize it and some of us can't. But not everybody recognizes what Jesus is really doing here. You know, of course, the real miracle isn't the physical bread. It's not what was being passed out in the baskets that morning, that evening. The real feast, of course, was Jesus. It wasn't the fish and the bread. And the whole point of this miracle we find out from John, was that so the people would understand that Jesus is the bread of life. Now, as Randy was demonstrating for us before, bread is everything. Bread is life. We prayed before, Lord, give us each day our daily bread. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Turn over to John chapter 6, verse 47. fact i believe we read this earlier john chapter 6 verse 47 truly truly i say to you whoever believes has eternal life i am the bread of life your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now look down just a few verses from there to verse 66. So after hearing this, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now after this miracle, these, these people had been following Jesus around and, and he looks at them and he understands the only reason now that they're following him is because they want more bread. And they're trying to make him king and Jesus slips out of there and now he's giving them these difficult words and like, do you really understand what the bread is about? I am the bread. Does Jesus give us more, more to eat? Take care of our, our hunger forever. I'm the bread of life. Eat my flesh. And there, this, this confusing, this hard saying that people don't understand it says, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. The crowd wanted the physical bread. We could say that they wanted the lesser blessing. Here's Jesus giving these options. I can meet your physical need or I can meet your spiritual need forever. And they are choosing the lesser. And we do this sometimes today as well, I think. You know, if, if I, ha- I want Jesus to meet this need right here today, and then, what, then when I'm done with him, I'm going to put him back on the shelf over here and kind of go about my life and, and live it how I want to. When I have that same problem again, I know just where I stashed him. And I can bring him back down and, and he can do his work and his power and, and I'm going to put him back away. Sometimes I don't want the full power of Jesus. I don't want the full miracle of him in my life because I would rather him just meet this need here. I don't want him to totally take me over the way that he wants to take over my life. That's the same thing with these people. They wanted the physical bread. They didn't want any part of Jesus for real. So Jesus is offering perhaps this unexpected feast for us today. But the, what he's offering now, it's, it's much more than this peasant bread and this, and this pickled fish, okay? But he has offered his body for us, broken. Broken for you and broken for me. As he says, whoever feasts on this bread will have life forever. Now let's pray. Father God, you are alive and at work today. Lord, we see your power on display through the feeding of the multitude. And Lord, many of us have felt your power at work in our lives, God, knowing what you can do, knowing how you have taken us and transformed us from death to life, God, how you have taken away our sin, Lord, how you have cleansed us with your blood. Father, we ask this morning that you would help us to understand and realize our very real need for you in our lives each day. Lord, that we would seek you with all our hearts, how that we would desire the greater blessings that you have for us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.